Who would you be if you didn't hide behind your shame? Where would you be if your inner judge didn't dictate your life? Hello, hello. We are here to break cycles, to open conversation into the taboo, and most of all, we are here to feel sexually liberated. Welcome to Your Body, Your Story. Hello, hello. Thank you for being here with me for another episode. We are on episode number seven with Emily Mattingsley, or as I know her best as Muja Moon, which is her Instagram handle. We had an amazing conversation where we just dove right into the intricacies of the female body, um, charting your cycle, and understanding your menstruation and nurturing and honoring what your body needs during different times in your cycle, especially during menstruation. Um, Yeah, and Emily talked about her journey in time um, while she was, you know, across seas in Morocco for, I think it was four or five years. Maybe I should have listened to that before I did this, but you know what? That's okay. Um, But yeah, this is an episode that you don't want to miss. I have taken away so many golden nuggets from the things that Emily said, and she just has so many beautiful things that you can take away from this conversation. And you know what? If it doesn't resonate, that's fine. But you know what? I I think this was such a beautiful conversation, and I think the things that Emily has to say really needs to be spread more and more. So I really, really hope you enjoy and uh, let me know what you think. I mean, I initially kind of met you very, very briefly at Wild Rose Mm -hmm. two years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Karina, who is also on this podcast, um, had taken, no, did she take your workshop? I don't know if she took your workshop or she met you at some point mm-hmm. and you both started talking about having eczema. Yes. And you like started to connect deeply mm-hmm. on like that struggle because mm-hmm. Karina's never really met someone. I don't think that's quite struggled with her like sh- or struggled with it like she mm. has. And it was like the dance night mm-hmm. and you were sitting beside the fire yeah. and I had just kind of come to sit down beside you and just kind of join the conversation. I didn't mm. really say anything. But it was like... I don't even remember you being there. So that just blew mm-hmm. my mind. Yeah, I was just kind of sitting there. Like I was just wow. kind of being in your presence, but I didn't really say anything. And then I think it was after that, like Karina was so excited that she had met you and really loved mm. the conversation and really helped her a lot. Mm. And then I think I... She kind of told me what you were doing that it was charting and stuff. And at that time I was already in school for gender and sexuality, mm-hmm. was really craving to... Um, like understand my body more mm-hmm. um, and was kind of searching for places to do that in some way. And so then I think I started following you on Instagram and just kind of started to understand your what you were offering, mm-hmm. what you were doing more, started to kind of feel your energy with your mm-hmm. posts and stuff. Um, 
and then I think yeah one day I just went to like your your link tree or whatever Mm -hmm. and just saw some of your information I don't even think I did your intro or anything Mm -mm. I think I just was like let's book a call I'm ready let's do Mm -hmm. it I'm in Mm -hmm. and then you had like yeah, you had your course starting yeah, right and I away. I had like two two or three spots left and started in like a week or two, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just jumped in. Mm-hmm. And I think our like connection call, that like 30 minute, like let's make sure this is a fit call was like, we just both like dove right in right mm-hmm. away. And you were like, wow, <laughs> I've never had someone just dive into all the things so early. And I was like, well, that's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But Mm -hmm. yeah, that was kind of our meeting. It was like we didn't actually meet, Mm -hmm. but I knew who you were and, you know, kind of sat beside you, but Mm -hmm. just, you know, a little bit outside of the conversation. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, and I love that so much just to think that I remember sitting down beside Karina and she was really sniffly. And I was just like, how are you doing? And yeah, we just totally started having a chat about our shared experiences with reorganizing our immune systems and creating more resilience within our bodies since we both had been on that journey. Mm -hmm. And um, what I love about that is I love in this world of being a spiritual entrepreneur and someone who is living the road of their heart and just trusting that the right people are going to come into my sphere, that the right people are going to want to work with me and learn with me. What I always love is the complete randomness of how my wonderful students like you and I get connected mm-hmm. that I never would have known in that moment of just seeing a sniffly gal and being like, do you want an antihistamine? I have some in my bag would lead to somehow you and I chatting, right? And like you and I having that connection and you joining the group program. Mm-hmm. So I just love hearing that origin story because it just reminds me of how we can always see just the way that the universe is like organizing these crossings of paths. Nothing is ever like complete. What am I trying to say? Like completely unconnected. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. every major connection I've had with anybody has always been somewhere along a line mm-hmm. of somebody else who knows them yeah. and like meeting and passing. And sometimes it's still meeting them out of nowhere. Like you mm-hmm. go to the grocery store and you meet somebody, mm-hmm. but it has always, always, always lined up with somebody already knew them. Mm-hmm. And like I've just, that's something I've always found is no matter who I meet, it's meeting them through something else. Mm-hmm. Or I find out later that, you know, they were in school with this person yeah. that I know or whatever. Like I've never ever had a moment where I just met somebody and they weren't connected to me already somehow. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was our meeting. And then the course was f- four months, right? I think it might have been five. Five months? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was a charting class. It was life-changing and oh, just so amazing, especially for living a female experience with constant body changes, mm-hmm. going through puberty, going into adulthood, continuing mm-hmm. on, and just being able to like understand mm-hmm. your body on a different level is so oh, amazing, mm-hmm. so grounding it's just I think it just brings you right back to your roots Mm -hmm. like when you're really taught to understand and read your body for what it's telling you Mm -hmm. it truly feels like ancient medicine Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I love hearing you say that it's life changing because it's such a grand, vast statement that I'm like, whoa, that feels incredible to hear. <laughs> but if I can switch the role of interviewer and ask you a question, what do you mean when you say life changing? I'm curious to know, as the person who facilitated the course, what life changing means for you. I mean, my what first... ways did it change your life? Yeah. My first thought is like birth control, honestly, mm-hmm. and being able to truly choose in a way that's I want to say hope more holistic Mm -hmm. but like you know it's one thing to actually take birth control and to um manage I guess your life Mm -hmm. and your cycles in that way like Mm -hmm. you're kind of it's a forced management Mm -hmm. of your body Mm -hmm. and it's natural unnatural cycles when Mm -hmm. you're on birth control but Mm -hmm. like being able to look at my chart and also now I can like kind of already assume almost when things are going to be happening Mm -hmm. and when I need to be careful when I don't like it's given me so much more peace of mind where Mm -hmm. I used to have maybe a lot of anxiety Mm -hmm. and um yeah used to be like panicked a lot of times where it was like maybe the condom broke or something and then you're like oh my gosh like I'm just gonna get pregnant I'm just this is terrifying and now being able to look at a chart and look at my cycles and now already know kind of how my body works Mm -hmm. like I'm expecting that these things are going to happen at this time Mm -hmm. I'm going to be not fertile for this whole period and Mm -hmm. then I know for the most part when I'll be Mm -hmm. fertile and then know again when I won't be and Mm -hmm. I'll have my period at this time Mm -hmm. like women for the most part do understand like obviously after however many 28 29 days mm-hmm. i'm going to have my period mm-hmm. but in between that i don't think many really pay that much attention mm-hmm. so i feel like it's life changing in the way that one i can choose mm-hmm. like truly choose and manage my cycles my ability to get pregnant in my own way mm-hmm. with like fully i would say more fully conscious and intentional ways of looking at my body mm-hmm. and its cycles. Um, yeah, being able to just understand it more mm-hmm. and then understanding, you know, what my hormones are doing at different times. You know, if I have a spike in maybe my emotions even, mm-hmm. I have a better idea of what's going on. And then it's actually easier to find ways to cope where I'm not like yeah. exploding on people in my life because <laughs> I have PMS, like stuff yes. like that. Like, and then learning even ways to move my body Mm -hmm. that feel really good Mm -hmm. and like you know and I think it's also more of a um like consciousness in my muscles Mm -hmm. like just from some of the movement classes that we did and stuff now I've been more aware of what my muscles are doing at certain times Mm -hmm. and learning how to even relax them better Mm -hmm. and like be able to again like more choose what I'm doing Mm -hmm. with my body and even my pelvic area that even though I was trying to be aware of before it wasn't I don't feel like it was like very successful Mm. oh my goodness I have so many things I want to say in response to that beautiful sharing (laughs) I think I'm going to move backwards with it which is it sounds like you're saying that you really gained like an ability to directly communicate with your pelvis Mm -hmm. not just only in the muscular skeletal arrangement of like your ligaments and your bones and your tissues to soften and open and have a more supple comforting 
experience within Mm -hmm. your hips and within your pelvis, but even just that communication of intimacy with yourself, right? Of intimacy with your own body of like, I know what's happening in my ovaries. I know what's happening in my uterus because so many of us, like you said, walk around thinking, oh, I'm on my cycle when I'm menstruating. I even had a miscommunication with my naturopath a couple weeks ago when she said, how long are your cycles? And I gave her the full range of, oh, they're about 35 days. And she's like, 35 days of bleeding? And I'm like, no, 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 sorry, because we need to remember that we're always on our cycle, that our cycle is happening every single day. We're never not cycling. Our cycle is not our period, our period is our menstruation, our bleeding days, but we're always cycling. The cycle is always happening. So it's really beautiful to hear you say that, you know, you're able to see your cervical mucus, understand your fluids, know what's happening in your cycle during that day, and then practice conscious contraception, which is what I call it, right? Instead of natural versus unnatural birth control, mm-hmm. thinking of it as a conscious contraception because we're using our consciousness, our ability to understand and see and filter and interpret information from our body, and then making that conscious decision of what does it look like for me to avoid pregnancy this cycle, right? Like what does that management mean? Does that mean alternative forms of beautiful sex that don't include penetration? Does that mean a condom? Does that mean relying on withdrawal? Does that mean something else? right? Versus, yeah, as you said, the paradigm of birth control, which is, well, I've I've suppressed my ovarian activity so that my body isn't fertile, which even when we, when we say that sentence, that sentence doesn't need to be neither positive nor negative. It's just a neutral statement that that's what it does. Suppresses ovarian activity so you are infertile all the time. And then that is some people's strategy for avoiding pregnancy. But what I really appreciated of what you said is we have this idea that sex leads to pregnancy. And for so many of us, pregnancy is not what we want. Therefore, it's this barrier for us to really enjoy pleasure because we're stuck within this sinful story that if I as a woman enjoy myself and experience pleasure, consequences are coming my way. And that has massive ramifications for our entire relationship to our body from our first bleed all the way until our last, because then during our reproductive continuum, we're just relating to our womb and to our cycle and its incredible capability as a creative portal. We're just relating to it like a problem, like a curse, like something that needs to be managed. And then therefore, we're never actually fully accessing the bliss and the medicine and the enjoyment of what it means to have a relationship with our vulva Mm -hmm. and with our womb while it's active, while it's hormonally surging with ovulation, with menstruation, with all of these mood changes and energy level changes. And so I just think such a big part of that conscious contraception piece and using charting fertility awareness method to avoid pregnancy is about remembering that sex doesn't always equal baby, right? Pleasure does not always equal consequence, that you can actually radically fully enjoy yourself in connecting to your sexual partner, their body, your body coming together, and know that there doesn't need to be this lingering anxiety and fear around what might happen. Yep. If you fully enjoy yourself, which is a massive 
shift, I think, for all of us with wombs when we make that connection to our body. Yep. That has been a huge shift that I've been working through slowly. It also depends on the day. <laughs> I think, mm. of course, with anybody. Yeah. But yeah, the shift from fully embracing and going into the pleasure with like without any background noise about it mm -hmm. has been amazing mm -hmm. and um so liberating mm -hmm. and it's just like a it's a constant practice that it's become for me every day mm -hmm. or well yeah every day honestly mm -hmm. of like even just pleasure of getting dressed in the morning mm. the pleasure of like just trying to find the pleasure in everything which then allows me to even unlock it more when it's more of a sexual intimate yes. moment and specifically with my partner that it's yes. just so much better than it was before where it was like, oh, I don't know. Now I'm nervous, like all those things. Yeah. And it was very like tight, very tense. Yeah. My whole body would be tense, especially like my yoni would be just be like, yeah. and then it's not pleasurable. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Like you just stick in your head and it just becomes a problem and it mm -hmm. feels like a problem. And then you're like, okay, my body just doesn't work. Yeah. Which is not the case. Mm -hmm. And there's so many ways to work through that. And I think even the charting has helped me and everything that you taught us, all the workshops, all the like, blah, 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 slow down, <laughs> all the specialists that taught us different things of mm -hmm. moving our body and different ways of helping ourselves understand it better or connect to it more. Like that has helped me heal trauma and just, yeah, connect way deeper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love hearing that. And I love you sharing about how it's just also changed the way that you put your clothes on in the morning. Mm -hmm. Like we're recording this podcast at my house right now. <laughs> and when I was showing you the bedroom upstairs, we were just both in awe of like the size of the window in the bedroom and like how much pleasure and joy that window brings me. Because even in the cold, frigid months, I'm able to just like let my body receive the light of the sunshine nude for a little bit each morning. And I taught this workshop this summer at a women's festival called Sensual Somatics. And it was just, you know, for me as the instructor, felt like a very simple facilitation of let's just move our body and breathe in nature and go place our hands on the earth and literally lie down naked and notice the texture of the earth against our naked skin. But we really remember in those kind of experiences just how simple it can feel to, how simple it can be to feel good. And it breaks my heart just to think about how many people just don't know how good you get to feel in your body and how good it can be to just simply spend time with yourself mm -hmm. and how just being alone, spending time with yourself, spending time with others, being in nature, how we really find out that those are a lot of the moments that so many of us cherish deeply is just these very, very simple pleasures that are really opening something so much more innocent than a lot of other ways that I think we sometimes want to run and create big experiences, but so much just awaits in us just feeling our breath and cupping our genitals, yeah. <laughs> right? And just taking a deep breath down into our vulva or having that moment of feeling, you know, the shower head um, in the shower, just wash our hair and just remembering that really coming back into our body and into this like erotic connection is really just letting that pulse of life be with you 
all the time throughout the whole day. Even my partner will sometimes, you know, say, oh, like, what can I do to, you know, make sure that you're feeling really turned on or how can I turn you on and get you in the mood? And I'm like, maybe clean the house. And when I come home and the house is clean, it actually just allows me to be in that relaxed state and that relaxed place, which frees my mind and frees my to-do list to just more easily slip in that's a great to a relaxed way mode to with you. That. That's a great way to say that. <laughs> and every single woman that I've talked to you about this says the exact mm-hmm. same thing. Mm-hmm. Do some cleaning, do some kind of active service for me that takes something, like you said, yeah. off my to-do list. I really like how you said that because that's exactly what it is. Like as much as I want to get home and just settle into this erotic place with you, I can't do that when I'm looking around and there's stuff yeah. everywhere and I need to do this. My clothes are dirty. There's dishes on the counter. Yeah. Like women have a way of being able to bounce into oh, yes. all these different places. Men typically, not always, but typically categorize and put it away. Mm-hmm. And it's harder for them to bounce back and forth to things like yeah. women do. Yeah. And that's just how we work. So if we're doing that, there's like almost no way that we can settle yeah. and start to get to a place of wanting to feel yes. pleasure even. Mm-hmm. I just love how you said that too. Yeah. Because I think it's a struggle for a lot of yeah. women in, well, not all the time, but in situations where, you know, we're wanting things to be a certain mm-hmm. way for us to tap into that yeah. pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I recently did some learning about um, oxytocin and the brain, and I can't really remember all of the nerdy parts about it, but it's that pleasure hormone we release. And for us to release that, like every single um, survival and protection cue needs to fully be released. Yeah. Like we need to have every single aspect of our environment just signaling to us safety, safety, safety in order for us to actually have the ability to release that hormone and and let it surge through our body and support things like libido and pleasure, which mm. also then gets into experiences like how are we menstruating? How are we birthing, right? Like how are we sitting up in environments anytime that we're having these really grand experiences with our yoni? Yeah. And it's important really to, to think about that. So yeah, I often love that saying, everything is foreplay, right? There's never yes. not foreplay, especially if you're in a relationship, everything always is foreplay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I heard that for the first time uh, like a little while ago and that's been echoing Mm -hmm. in my head too of just like Mm -hmm. just wake up in the morning already ready to do and work on foreplay with your partner and foreplay I think then becomes so much more of a broad mm-hmm. grand thing mm-hmm. that it's not like okay we're going to schedule a time and we're mm-hmm. going to start some foreplay mm-hmm. no you do it all day long mm-hmm. and it becomes this almost like game it's almost like playing yeah. and like you know seeing what you can do yeah. to get yourself to that place so at the end of the day you're yes. just like okay that was great mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Totally. something else actually i wanted to kind of go back to that i really loved was you talking about how innocent those actions of connecting with your erotic body and the earth and being naked. Like you were saying, it's so simple and innocent. And I really loved how you use that word. Because mm. I think typically we think of things like that, such as just being naked openly as not being an innocent <laughs> act. Totally. 
And yeah, I think that's something that needs to maybe be shifted a little bit more of like the act of being naked and the act of connecting to your body and connecting to the earth is so innocent and pure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny you saying that. I had a hilarious experience this summer where my wild woman was just on the loose and holiday <laughs> in British Columbia because what I learned is it's a very big experience to go to an incredible women's festival where everyone is very comfortable being naked and everyone is walking around topless, just living our best lives. And then to leave that experience and go join up with your group of friends on like a co-ed little Okanagan Lake holiday and just be like, well, why do I have to cover my nipples when everyone else's nipples are out, right? Why is it that for for those of us over here, us for our nipples are deemed not socially appropriate when I look at the men across the way and some of them had larger voluptuous breasts, if you will, than some of the women, right? Because it's not always so simple just to categorize genders and the way body looks. Some some of the male chests were more round and soft than the female chests. And so why is it that our nipples had to be covered and theirs didn't? And so it was really interesting to kind of go exactly, as you said, from this innocent place of this women's festival with so much safety and expression and openness. And then the way that that recalibrated all of our brains while we were there to be like, this is so okay. This is so normal. And then to suddenly have this juxtaposed reality check of being like, oh my God, I'm back in patriarchy. I'm back in the real world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where some, for some reason, I have to cover up my areolas, right? And other people don't. But It just really makes me think when you talk about that innocence of that archetype of the young maiden and so much of the work I do and things like my group programs and my workshops is at the end of the day, giving women the reproductive health education that they should have got growing up. Like what I teach with cycle charting and body literacy and understanding your mucus and your basal body temperature and how to breathe all the way down into your pelvis, how to move your body centrally for self-healing. This is what a 14-year-old should be learning, a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 17-year-old, not because they're necessarily going to master it at that age, but I often think to myself, what would our world look like if when a young woman goes through that passageway of puberty, someone sits her down and is like, your blood is holy and your body has this incredible creative capacity to Um, birth forth life and you get to decide if that life is going to be a new human in the form of your child and your baby or if that life is going to be in the form of your dreams, your desires, your trips, your travels, your education, your career or all of those things mixed together. But you have this place that you can come to and connect to now that is actually going to guide you through these life experiences and your cyclical and your hormones are changing the way that you feel every day and let's sit down and actually show you how to move your hips when you're menstruating so that even menstruation could become an experience that you welcome and the sensations that arise during menstruation could be something that draws you into a profoundly deep connection to your own body like what would the world look like if that was (laughs) if that's if that was what we taught right and like i said not because that means oh if you receive this education everything's going to go perfectly in your life but you're empowered and equipped with some tools and some strategies to support you throughout everything that's going to arise and come up along everything you're going to learn in your reproductive continuum through your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, et cetera. 
right? But it's like, that's when I think about that innocent word is right now, young people are met with this idea of like, this is bad, this is gross, this is dirty, this is shameful, this is a nuisance, this is unnecessary, oh, you felt a cramp, here, get an IUD, and the conversation is done with, right? So it's like, what would it look like to actually remember what it means to initiate people from childhood to an innocent, sensual exploration of their body and sexuality? Oh. Right? (laughs) (sighs) Okay, conversation over. We can go. (laughs) That, yes, I dream of a world Mm -hmm. where we are actually given the tools and the knowledge Mm. at a young enough age such as I think 14 15 16 Mm. in my opinion yes Mm. like I would have loved to have that information at that time Mm -hmm. I think so many women would have loved to have the information at that time to Mm. understand way better and not just cope not just I'm just going to like hunker down and hide Mm -hmm. for a week of whenever I'm menstruating mm-hmm. to just just deal with it and like it's not an enjoyment for the mm-hmm. most part and it I do believe it should be mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. oh I just dream of that world yeah and even when you said oh you know women are just hiding away and I don't even think they're hiding away when they bleed I think they're pushing themselves to show up just as much as they show up every other day of the month right? They're pushing themselves to show up to their job and do all of their tasks without the grace or compassion of letting anybody know, I'm feeling a little bit more tired today. I'm bleeding. Can I go 30 minutes early? Yes. Or just (laughs) take the whole day off. (laughs) Exactly. I've been starting to do that more actually since our charting is like the first day, especially I'm like, I am allowing myself to stay in bed if I need to take the day slow, to really honor what I'm feeling and what my body's telling me and allow my body to do the work that it's doing. Yes. Because in a way, it's also a healing thing too. Like anytime I do any large amount of self-work or personal development or like a big day where you dive in deep to like meditation Mm -hmm. like you're typically really exhausted after Mm -hmm. and I kind of almost see that as the same thing you've been going almost a whole month doing Mm -hmm. the things of life and now your body is going okay stop we need to sit and heal we need to sit and work through these cycles Mm -hmm. we need to sit and menstruate Mm -hmm. and I think it's just so beautiful to have the opportunity to honor that yeah and I think every woman who deals with menstruation and cramps and those types of things should have the opportunity to take a day or two off every single cycle yeah Mm -hmm. and be able to honor what their body needs yeah and even to put it into this context which really illuminates how important it is to pause which is menstruation mirrors the same physiological action as labor but on a much smaller scale so menstruation really is like an opportunity of a microdosing little experience of how would you slow down if right now you were like giving birth. And so every single time the womb releases, whether it's blood or an early pregnancy loss, an intentional pregnancy release, or a full birth of a living child, all of those experiences have the same physiological action, which is the uterus contracts and the cervix softens and opens. So the way we meet menstruation is actually a practice 
of how it is that we would meet the full grand humongous journey of something like labor of birthing forth a child which is how could i slow down like you said and let my body do the work that it's doing because we don't even realize that there is a big physiological action happening during menstruation and that it is really part of the blueprint of that whole experience as we said to create safety to shut out the world to make sure that we're feeling good, to let the brain release a little bit of its pleasurable hormones in that place of safety where we're just connecting to our body. And then every time we menstruate, I like to describe it as taking like a little plant medicine journey. Every time yeah. we're able, every time we're able to really stop and slow down and be with our blood. But we won't feel it if we keep pushing. We won't feel it if we keep rushing. And a lot of the big sharing that I often hear from people, which is interesting wording, is they say, yeah, yeah, I know women that, you know, they get really bad cramps and they really need to slow down when they're bleeding, but I don't need to slow down. And I say to them, but the journey isn't, do you need to slow down? The journey is, can you? Can yes. you slow down? Can you be with it? It's not a matter of need. It's actually an invitation of, um, will you? Because the more you slow down, the more the subtle experiences of what your blood has to teach you and show you actually can arrive and arise. And it prepares every time we menstruate consciously for larger passageways like abortion, miscarriage, full-term birth, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so many good things. Yeah, I love it. Mm -hmm. um, Okay, we're going to take a pause here. And like before, and as we're going to try to do every time, this is to allow you to take some time to integrate, self-reflect, and let whatever was said settle in. And just a little check-in. How are you doing? How is your body feeling? You know, it's always good to self-reflect and see how you're feeling and see how you can make your experience better. So this pause, we're going to use a technique called box breathing. So I'll explain it first. Again, like always, if you have the opportunity to close your eyes, I welcome you to do that. If you can't, I just ask that you try to soften your gaze so that you're not, you know, staring hard at something. Soften as much as you can. So box breathing, what we're going to do is inhale for four seconds, hold for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, and hold for four seconds, and keep repeating that. We'll do it just a few times. So I'll get you to close your eyes. We'll inhale starting, inhale one, two, three, four, and hold, two, three, four, exhale, two, three, four, Hold, two, three, four. Inhale, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. Exhale, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. And then just back to your regular breathing. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the rest. Yeah, what I want to do now actually is just take a, a step back from all of that. Yeah, we're going into some fun places. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, let's just, now we've like dove right into it. Mm -hmm. Let's take a moment to kind of go back to who was Emily <laughs> before this 
kind of talk because yeah. oh the I, even the way you talk i just love even watching you talk because you like move with your body you feel your words as you say it and i'm like who was she before <laughs> this person that i know well what i will say is people often when i'm teaching or in my space or doing meditations and stuff they're just like your voice is so relaxing i just want to fall asleep to it but also I'm a human and one thing I really appreciate about this, you know, massive transformation and spiritual journey I've gone on is that like it's just at the end of the day really about integrating both what it means to like do the kind of work I do in the world and just also be like a human who sometimes is just like cackling and talking a lot less gracefully and living her normal day-to-day -day life. So let me just make that clear. <laughs> So I'm not always walking around 24-7, 365, just like waxing Loading. poetically about <laughs> our womb goddess energy, right? Like there's also just the normal me who's who's just microwaving her food and totally. going taking my dog out for a pee. Um, <laughs> but with that being said, who I really was before, before this whole journey was someone who was raised in a very, very religious family, a very, very religious um, Christian upbringing that was borderline culty absolutely borderline culty and um a big part of that was purity culture right and i was really ingrained with this idea that fornication was a sin fornication meaning you know sex before marriage of course sex was only ever defined as penis and vagina intercourse there was never any understanding that sex on pleasure could be something other than that <laughs> but of course you know that one presentation of sex was an awful sin and i was raised and told that it was like cutting an arm off that even if the stump will heal your arm will never grow back so I had a lot of fear around sex. I had a lot of ideas of shame around sex. And you can understand that when you are someone that is young, that is brought up in that environment, that is being told this by adults that are supposed to be the ones teaching you about how to be, you know, good in life, your logical brain isn't just like, oh, well, I don't think that's right. So that shame really stuck with me even throughout my early 20s when I really was starting to deeply question going to church. And when I, I basically, it, you know, it was a bit of that culty experience in the sense that like I didn't know how to get out. Like I didn't know how to not be a good girl anymore and disappoint my parents by not going to church anymore. So I even continued going to church during my university years, not because I wanted to, but I just didn't have a connection to that grown woman inside of me that knew how to say no. And I think a lot of women or people that are living these female experiences, we really are in this world of people pleasing and wanting to be good and trying to be good for others that I just really didn't even fully know how to escape or how to get out of it. Um, but my saving grace is that even despite all of the very religious programming growing up, I always had this sense of tenacity. Like I remember I ran into a friend last year that knew me all the way from grade six and kind of follows what I do now. And he was like, you were always a spitfire. You know what I mean? Where he was like, I remember you just like rallying against people in class and getting called down to the principal's office because I remember some kid trying to snap my sports bra and me just like wiling like a crazy animal and it becoming this whole thing, of course, where I'm the one who got in trouble. 
But essentially, there was always this fierce part in me somewhere deep down in my soul that couldn't be um, put out, if you will, that by the time I got to my 20s, the only way I could really have a sense of reprieve from this very restrictive religious family I was in was to travel. And so I traveled, I lived abroad, I lived in New Zealand, I traveled Southeast Asia, ended up in Morocco for four years, which is wild, traveled all through Europe. And that was kind of my out because it was my way to make this like, to some people, a conventionally acceptable choice of I'm going to go have a year abroad. And then it was during that time that I was able to really start exploring like, who am I when I am not in this restricted community that is my community back home? Like, who can I be? What can I try? What can I try on? How can I actually play with my identity, play with when I, how I want to express myself, make a lot of new interesting connections with other people? And that's what actually supported me in forming a new understanding of the world and a new understanding of who I was in the world and what I am and who I am was that ability to literally leave, leave, as in get on a plane and go halfway around the world. Yeah. So, I mean, for who I was before is I was someone who was very much going down the road of a very conventional life, did my university degree in teaching and was, you know, did a little bit of travel, came back, was teaching elementary school and within teaching elementary school, just feeling super burnt out after a few years of that and just knew that this was not the life for me. This was not the path for me. I had no freaking clue what was. I had no clue what was, but I just remember eight months into teaching full-time elementary, what I absolutely knew was this is not the next 30 years of my life. And that's what I kept saying. This is not what, this is not how I'm living the next 30 years of my life. So what I did is I thought, well, let's spice it up and go teach abroad. So I got a job teaching ESL in Morocco and was put in contact with a cool community there and a cool school that a friend had taught at and went to Morocco and had no store, what, no clue what was in store for me, thought it might be one year. And within three months, I knew that it was going to be so much longer than one year. Ended up being four and it ended up being this um, massive rebirth experience where I really started to get in touch with the divinity within my body and go through my own spiritual awakening and dive deeper into my yoga practice than just the physical movement I had done at yoga studios before and you know, went off to India for a pilgrimage and shaved my head and meditated with the monks. And I mean, it's so hard to describe like a, a journey that big that really... Um, felt like a hero's journey of leaving with a wound, going on this grand experience, feeling some transformation into, I think I have a little bit of, um, uh, I don't want to say mastery, that sounds pompous, but a little bit of wisdom here that I've cultivated. And I would love to go and now share what it is that I've learned with others. <laughs> I feel like that's my dream. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because, you know, me and my best friend talk about this a lot and I want to keep it very real on the podcast as well, which is she's had a similar life as me in which like when you're just having small talk with someone or maybe the kind of conversation you've had on a first date, it can sound so movie-like, but it's also too important the 
important to remember that the flip side of that is that things aren't perfect when you go to a foreign country. All your shit comes with you. Mm-hmm. Wherever you are, wherever you go, there you are. You bring all of your stuff with you. <laughs> and so many of us that go on these huge international pilgrimages that bring us into deeply spiritual places, it's because we're very desperate to heal something. It's because we actually often needed to go that big and that outlandish to actually find the medicine we needed. So, you know, there is the reality of it, right? Of like, sometimes I sit and I'm like, well, I could own a house right now, but instead I spent it all on traveling, right? You know what I mean? Like there's also just the practical reality of what it means to go that path and not all that glitters is gold. There was a lot of, a lot of reality and real life behind it too. And even a lot of traumas just even within those experiences of being a foreign woman traveling by herself globally came with a few days that I did not love. So (laughs) yeah, just want to balance that out. Totally. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so can you tell me a little bit more about your experience living in Morocco? We Mm -hmm. had kind of started a little bit right before we started recording and you were talking about specifically gender Mm -hmm. and also that that was a place that you did start to dive into the work that you're doing Mm -hmm. now so I'd love to hear all of that yeah and some struggles and of course wins and the beauty in it and obviously like there's both sides to everything and I'm just very curious for sure oh a very interesting experience very interesting experience I Sometimes I'm not even sure where to start, but I guess I'll dive in at the sense that I think when I moved there, I was 27 and I was at that point in my life, you know, super healthy, super in shape. I had long blonde hair. I had a small waist. I had a big curvaceous breasts and I had no clue what I was walking into when I started walking down the street of this like North African Muslim country, just being like cat called every day, just being hit on every single day, taxi drivers proposing to me, you know, like so much, you know, so much attention for the way I looked, the way that I just happened to be in a body that really fit like this socially desirable sense of colonized beauty, if you will. Um, But then really mixing that in with the fact that before I moved to Morocco, my experiences here in Canada is, you know, with the purity culture that I was raised in, dating was quite hard for me. And it was a little bit of a struggle for me to actually um, cultivate intimate connections with men the way I wanted to. And I was really living in that patriarchal world of never feeling beautiful enough, never Mm. feeling sexy enough, never feeling skinny enough, never feeling like my nails were even just done perfectly enough, obsessed over making sure that my shoes and my purse match. So I was really, really living in that gender binary of wanting to be a beautiful woman, of wanting to Basically, I mean, this isn't really my words, but something I've heard that really resonated with me, which was making sure you look fuckable all the time. Right. Right? (laughs) Like always making sure you look fuckable and always making sure that any man that would want to see you would want to fuck you. And so it was a massive change to now go to this country where because of my foreignness, there was this exotic nature where I was suddenly extremely desired but then what came with that was also being like extremely hypersexualized 
And that led to a lot of not so fun experiences like sexual harassment, sexual assault in public places, being grabbed, being touched when I didn't want to, which then kind of ushered in this grand closing of my heart mm. and this deep nervous system deregulation that I didn't really understand was traumatic until I moved back home, which was every single time I left the house, I was ready for a fight. Because that was that's always been my chosen survival response is fight rather mm -hmm. than flee or freeze or fawn or whatever. I'm always just like a fight kind of gal. So to then leave the house and kind of feel this restriction in my body because I didn't know, is this a day that I'm just going to go to the grocery store and not have any issues? Or is this a day that I'm going to go to the grocery store and um, have someone follow me uh, the way there, just kind of whispering, uh, you know, inappropriate sexual comments to me the whole time that I'm just trying to go buy some eggs. And I'm so careful when I talk about this because I've been living back in Canada now for four years. And it was only after not being there for a couple years that I was able to look back and see what a big effect that experience had on me, which is while I was living there and people would say, what's it like to be a white woman in Morocco? I'd always say, well, what's it like to be a woman anywhere, right? Like we deal with this kind of stuff everywhere in the world and that's very true. But at the same time, there was something that was um, dysregulating about the level of, you know, that street harassment culture that is so prevalent and accepted there. Not necessarily loved or approved of by, you know, 99% of Moroccans. It's not like it's a culture of people that like that, but yet it just is different than being in a country like Canada where we just don't holler at women every day when they're walking down the street, right? So that was an interesting experience. And so, you know, what was so funny about my time in living in Morocco is it really brought me to like this vast polarity of these experiences on the one hand of feeling like, uh, you know, more anger over the way I was treated in public, feeling like I always needed to have this fight response out to really protect myself, um, experimenting with wearing a headscarf just so I could move through the world in a way that was a little bit more inconspicuous and unnoticed and definitely embracing more modest dressing. But then on the other hand, the really amazing thing about it is being friends with so many incredible Muslim women and actually having the lived experience of being there, you realize that in plus 45, the most comfortable thing to wear in the world is a big flowing muumuu. Yeah. In plus 45, you actually don't want to be wearing a tank top and jean shorts because it sticks to your body you then realize it's actually nice to just big on a put on a big flowing dress and dress more modestly because it actually works better with the climate <laughs> and also just creating these you know these interesting relationships with muslim women where they say you know the reason i love being covered is because no one gets to um kind of make a judgment call about me based on my appearance and especially since i was oh. teaching in a school so much of it was when people meet me, they don't get to like assess my level of physical beauty. They actually meet me and they see this modest face and they have to find out what I have to say and what I share to actually get a greater sense of who I am and then connect with me based on what it is that I actually um, have to speak of from my soul and from my brain, not on how they want to respond to me based on my physical physique or the beauty of my hair. And so that led me down this really interesting journey there as well of kind of moving between these two polarities. And I don't think there's any answer that we ever get to, 
but just being able to more fully sit with the nuance of what it means to be expressed, like we said, in nudity at the Women's Festival versus what it also means to embrace being covered and having some reverence and privacy around who, what, where, and how you share and show your physical body. So within all of that, I was doing yoga. I was connecting to my cycle. As we were saying, talking with your friend, I was having awful eczema on my face that I'd never had before. I was going to some Facebook forums in this amazing little group called Pussy Posse. Someone posted, uh, I said, I have this awful eczema. I'm looking for help. Someone said, I wonder if it could be hormonal. Check out this podcast. And it was a podcast about fertility awareness method. And it was a podcast about women's hormones and our cycles and our body. And I listened to it and it just cracked me wide open. And I fell down this massive rabbit hole between these two polarized ends of how I was identifying as woman, as this hypersexualized, desired, blonde-haired, skinny white chick in a surf town in Africa versus then also wanting to tap into this wise part of myself that was modest, that wasn't judged based on her appearance and based on her conventional beauty, but was seen for the wisdom she actually shared. And so within the middle of that, this podcast about fertility awareness method kind of drove both of those together for me, which was, oh, my power is not in how I look in my body. My power is how I feel in my body. My power is my connection to myself. My power is not if a man can derive pleasure from my physical form, but can I uncover the pleasure in my own physical form, right? So really finding out that everything that I was searching for outside of me and around me was actually within me. And even along that spectrum of you know, who am I? How do I want to express myself? Rejecting all of these different social rules of either a Western idea of feminism or what it was like to be in a more conservative culture and find out that you're kind of shit out of luck regardless of what rule you try to follow. So the answer is to feel more authentic in your expression is to get in touch with your own intuition and with yourself and decide how you want to express yourself, right? And that's the quote unquote only right way. I don't know if that's the right word right now to do it is to decide what's my rules. How do I want to live this life? How do I want to connect with my body? How do I want to express myself? And, and really letting that experience initiate me out of that maidenhood experience of being so concerned about her physical appearance into this next level of that mother experience of my what I have to offer to the world is my talents, is my skills, is my wits, is my love, is my wisdom, is my gifts, not just trying to look beautiful. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's like a mic drop yeah. right there. Holy moly. <laughs> yeah. And then what was really fun within all of that was, you know, there's so much, so many little pockets to dive into there, which was, you know, I, in the middle of that, I went to India, as we were saying, and I became a yoga teacher. So I was back in Morocco teaching at a yoga studio, was barely even teaching English as a second language anymore, was just now teaching yoga. And then within there, just started offering workshops 
at um, that local yoga studio about like the four seasons of the cycle and really basic stuff that at the moment was mind blowing. And now I don't even really touch on that that much because I'm like, let's get super duper nerdy about the extremely distinct fluids that our cervix produces so we can avoid pregnancy. Right. So it's like, you know, just remembering that time of that ode to that younger self that was just her mind was blown by, oh my God, we're a cyclical being and just offering what it was that I had to teach on this in, on those introductory experiences of womb reclamation and then really over the years just blending it all together and just like we were saying I had no clue what was in store for me and yet all of it just continued to evolve and create and grow into what is now Muja Moon like my online platform of guiding women to deeply connect to the empowering um, education of how their body works and Muja is the Arabic word for wave. So it was during my time in Morocco, sitting on the wave. I was a surfer at the time. I guess I technically still am. I own a surfboard. But it was surfing at the time and really having that grand experience of this personal transformation while I was surfing, while I was crying on the beach in the morning, while I was, you know, um, releasing my blood into that village where I was living, that all of this came together. So that word Mujamun is really an ode to that um rebirthing chapter of my life and even towards the end of morocco i'll just add i shave my head that ended up being my way of how i managed my expression there is let me shave this beautiful golden lion's mane off of my head so that as i walk through the street people can just have a ha you know people could immediately read how i wanted to express myself and how i wanted them to respond to me and interpret who I was based on letting them know that I wanted to express a look that was a little bit more neutral, <laughs> a little bit more neutral. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <sighs> I love that. Mm -hmm. There was, oh, what was it that I wanted to dive into a little bit more? Mm. Oh, there it is. Yes. It very much and this is going off of how our society is today. It very much seemed like you went from the conventional way of living your life and how you think you should have done things mm -hmm. to the unconventional. Yes. And so I guess what I'm curious about too is how people have, um, I guess, responded to you or, you know, how, I don't know, available people are to that shift mm -hmm. you know like I guess and a lot of people maybe don't know that about you but like your family and friends who knew you at that time mm -hmm. like how did people respond to those big life changes yeah um and then I have another part to that too is like now do you still find very much that it's hard to put yourself out there is there a lot of like barriers and walls that you kind of force yourself through of what people expect from people these days of how we should be living our lives do you find it quite difficult to put yourself out into the world and say this is what i'm doing and i'm here to help all these mm -hmm. people like how often do you get that pushback and that resistance to what you're doing because it doesn't feel like the norm and it feels woo woo and it mm -hmm. feels like it's like way outside of the scope of what's normal even though it's so deeply rooted in the life of mm -hmm. a female especially mm -hmm. and I like I'm not saying at all that it's too far out there at all right mm -hmm. I'm just saying like yeah. I think for a lot of people's experiences what you do scares them yeah <laughs> 
And so I am really <laughs> curious about like the barriers and the the things that you have to kind of force yourself through to like make yourself be seen and heard. Yeah. Ooh, interesting. Oh, I wish I could like see that question you just asked me on paper because there's so many different things I could speak to. But I mean, I let out that big chuckle when you say it scares them because, ooh, well, yeah, there's a lot of different pieces of the onion appeal back here, but I'll start there, which is I love that you said it scares them because that's what it means to be a witch is you scare people. A witch is a scary person. A witch being an empowered woman who knows how to conjure up magic within herself by sourcing divine life force energy from the plants and animals around her, that's a very scary thing, right? And, and a witch being a woman that knows how to manage her reproductive health autonomously with no need for anybody's permission to do or not do certain things, that's a very unstoppable figure. Therefore, it is very scary. And we've been taught a lot of stories about witches around what that means. And, you know, I use that word both in jest of it's kind of fun in the branding and and and, and, and connecting to people to be like, yeah, I'm totally a witch. But it also is like a sacred ode to the actual witches that, you know, 500 years ago in Europe were literally womb workers, were herbalists, were midwives, were nurses, were those who took care of other women. And, you know, so many of the stories and the evil nature that we have of witches would be from the story of maybe a young maiden finding herself pregnant when she doesn't want to be going to visit the herbalist and the herbalist having the concoction and guiding the young maiden to drink drink the drink the tea and massaging her womb in a certain way to release the uterus and bring on her bleed that would that would come up with these stories of witches kill children right witches are these evil women that are worshiping the devil and making these awful bad things happen because our society couldn't seem to process that 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 they were just experts of the earth and knew how to use all the medicines of the planet around them that they had to make it about well they must be summoning the devil right they must be bringing something evil into it because it's in in general it's also the sweeping away of the actual respect of of the power of nature and what plants are actually capable of but i've gone on a huge tangent so to come back oh, to your question love, no that was part of the okay, question good. that was beautiful <laughs> so to come back to your question you know it's really interesting to hear you ask that because on my side of the experience one of my biggest personal struggles, and this is like a vulnerable share, and you're going to laugh when you hear it, is I think to myself, is my work needed? Mm. Because I live like many people in the modern world. So I follow 300 other beautiful beings on Instagram that do incredibly similar work to me. And so I seem to think, oh, it's saturated everybody is doing this. Everybody is talking about this. So then it actually hits up against my ego and that resilience of, of being like, stay the course, girl. Like stay the course, keep offering, keep speaking, keep doing, because I sometimes go, I think they got it. I, let me go live my normal life where I can just get like a high paying job. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And like get benefits and maybe go for some massages that are covered under a benefits package. Like that's kind of actually the struggle that I live with is staying with the persevering of the path 
of knowing that the work is needed and not wanting to retreat back into a more comfortable place of living where I don't just keep sharing my voice and keep posting all of this stuff that is really perceived as very out there and very controversial um, because there is an interesting um, journey that you need to go on as someone that is um, sharing so much about this stuff, which is really this ability that people like Liz Gilbert talk about so much, which is to create what you create and put it out there in the world and remain completely detached from people's responses. Oh, right. right. Of being like how this is interpreted, how this is received has nothing to do with me. And as you talked about having this sense of groundedness in response to people that take a lot of issue with what I'm offering and come with a lot of their own projections in the space. You're judging women, you are, you know, shaming women. And I'm just like, wow, how could, how could, how could I possibly be more interpreted um, than that? And so just remembering that that has everything to do with where someone is finding me based along where they're at in their personal journey. And I just think to myself when I trigger somebody and that means that I receive a lot of um, difficult comments, then I just always uh, respond to them. Not actually in my mind, I just go, you're welcome. Something has been butted up in you. Something has been hit up against and you know it's not my responsibility to come in and save you or heal you or fix you or even explain myself or defend myself but you are welcome for whatever just felt a little bit of a sting that perhaps is maybe going to inspire something to come to life <laughs> that is so amazing yeah There's so many good points that you've hit that i'm like yes 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 yeah yes. i want to be like snapping my yeah. fingers for you like <laughs> oh but yeah it's interesting like it doesn't make it it doesn't make it necessarily mm, i don't know if easier is the right word because it absolutely has become easier over the years that absolutely is true but i think it's this interesting balance between both um you know, when I put a post up about, you know, our right to reproductive autonomy and, and, and all the ways that we can choose to manage our fertility, whether that's fertility awareness method, you know, which is not the rhythm method for anybody listening, but doing that and then making sure you have backup protocols if you need to bring on a bleed through holistic means of bringing on an abortion or going to a clinic, et cetera. You know, when I get a lot of aggressive comments or pushback from something like that, if my deep approval for our right to make, you know, different choices with our bodies, it's, it's both that ability to just say, okay, this has nothing to do with me. I'm going to let it slide. And I think there is something about, like I was saying, that part of me that wants to retreat and not talk about it. That's not only just some shrinking back of some scared part of myself. That is also a more mature part of myself that doesn't need to share any of this in order to change anyone's mind. Hmm. And I think you had worded in your question something about like, how do you kind of push your way into like making sure you're hurt or something like that? But I don't even feel the need like I'm pushing my way or trying to make myself be heard. It's become more of this relationship of I'm going to put out the call and I'm just going to see who comes back. Because if I water down this message, I can perhaps capture more people's ears, but that doesn't really excite me. What excites me is putting out that dog whistle or that frequency of noise that only a certain kind of person can actually hear. 
and then who you bring in from that space um, usually has the biggest transformation in working with me because there is this primed readiness that they um, actually came closer to the scary thing, right? They didn't retreat away or unfollow me or, you know, say I was harmful. They actually moved closer in because they saw a thread of a feminine truth that they knew in the depths of their body was the way to go. <laughs> right? That was the way to go. So that's what interests me more is let's keep it very strong and very potent and the right people come in. I do not need to convince or argue or change anybody's mind. Even people that say, what do you even know about you're not a doctor? And people wouldn't know that I've completed like a two-year certification program in studying women's holistic reproductive health, right? So <laughs> things like that, just letting bygones be bygones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. And it's reminding me of things that I need. I would really mm -hmm. love to and continue to take with me as I continue mm -hmm. to even do this podcast. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to fight or argue or convince Yes. As much as sometimes I feel like that's what I need to be doing, right? Like just for context, an example is there's, of course, with LGBTQ community or even the like feminine health reproduction mm -hmm. understanding of their bodies, mm -hmm. there's so much controversy around it. Mm -hmm. And I so often feel like I need to give them information and knowledge and points for them to like, obviously not to force them to change or anything, but to give them the option to rethink their own opinion. Mm -hmm. But I think in sometimes like it's just better just to leave it as is and continue doing what you're doing and continue yeah. vibing at the frequency you're yeah. at, just like you said. Yeah. And it will bring along the people that are meant to be there. But mm -hmm. there's so often that I want to try to almost put a wrench in mm -hmm. their thinking, which yeah. I think sometimes is okay, mm -hmm. but like for sure, it's also very exhausting. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I think it's about, you know, at every moment really sitting and having a mindful awareness of like, do I have the capacity to speak with this person? Um, and also giving yourself for full permission to not. Mm -hmm. Like even on a recent post, like I said about abortion and someone was really coming in with a completely opposite perspective of, you know, you're murdering a child. And I didn't really respond to them. I just deleted the comments and they were coming back with more of um at least defend your opinion, at least defend your stance. Like you won't even engage with me. And it's just like, there's such a sense of entitlement to my time, right? There's such a sense of entitlement from even people that disagree with us of, of, you know, defend yourself, come back and argue with me. And I was like, confidence is not needing to defend myself. I guess this post wasn't for you. I guess this space isn't for you. I guess my offerings aren't for you. So go well on whatever your journey is, but what it is that you saw here or received here that you felt such a strong response to is I trust that medicine of that sting for them. Oh, right? <laughs> this is bringing up so much for me of moments where I haven't defended myself and exactly that. People are like, oh, well, obviously your information is not correct, right? Because you're not willing to give more information to defend yourself. Yeah. And there has been so many times that I've been like, no, I'm just leaving it as is. Yeah. I told you my beliefs and why, and you're pushing back on me, but I don't want to do that. Yeah. 
I'm leaving it as is. Yes. And that's such a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, also another really great reminder of like, that's totally fine. Yeah. And it's not a weak thing to do, Mm-mm. right? Like that's something that I struggle with is like, is me not fighting right now? weak is it true that maybe i don't have all the information yeah right like i always question that a little bit but sometimes i'm like no i do like i know all the facts about this Mm -hmm. i could argue you to death Mm -hmm. but i just don't want to yeah and there's nothing weak about that there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that Mm -hmm. yeah and i think it's especially true when we're talking about such controversial topics that you and I don't perceive as controversial really. Yeah. But, but topics that are so controversial to other people is that's what I always think is I'm always like, wow, they're, they're very strong emotional reaction to this says a lot more about something that they're deeply uh, resisting of disapproval within themselves around something so I'm going to let you figure that out. And if you would like my coaching, then these are my rates and here's a connection call and you can pay me, right? <laughs> I'm not going to coach you and guide you and teach you um, when you are not interested in even really hearing what I have to say. So much of our you know, commonplace arguments, I think people are thinking about what they're going to say when you're talking. No one's even listening right? Someone else is speaking and you're just the whole time your brain is operating about what you want to say back. You're not even hearing what that person is is sharing your way and a little marketing advice, but this isn't just marketing advice, but it's just good for the way we connect to to others because that's what marketing is, is speak to your maybes, speak to your yeses, not to the no's. Don't speak to your no's. It's a waste and a suck and a drain of your vital life force energy but speaking to the maybes, speaking to the yeses, speaking to that person that's never DM'd you, that's never commented, that maybe has never liked, but they follow. And they look at every post you post and they don't even have the uh, bravery to even, I don't wanna say bravery because it's fine if they don't engage, but they're not ready to be seen in that way, but they're getting so much out of what you're sharing. Right. And if mm. someone's a no, I don't need to speak to you. I guess you're a no. So, <laughs> uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Actually, yeah. that even brings me back to you to like, you did make that abortion post. And I thought that that was so courageous. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think when I scrolled and I saw it, I think in my, like, I just, I think I'm even said out loud, like, yes, thank you yeah. for sharing. Because mm-hmm. that is something that, like, again, you just kind of said like people don't want to be seen in that way. Mm-hmm. People don't want to come out there and share those types of experiences mm-hmm. that especially right now, mm-hmm. but always have been yeah. very controversial, mm-hmm. virtual. <laughs> <laughs> and that, yeah, is such an amazing thing. I think that's what I admire most about you and especially mm. your posts is that like you do just put yourself out there for like, I'm putting out the call, I'm putting out the vibration. Mm-hmm. And it does feel like you're just like, here, take it, I'm out. Yeah. Every time. <laughs> That's, That's so kind nice of what to it hear feels back. Like. <laughs> nice. And I think it's so amazing because yeah. all of your posts, I'm always like, thank you. Like every single time yeah. I see your post, that's what I think. Or even sometimes say out loud. Yeah. Is like, thank you. Because 
again, people are avoiding that. People are avoiding being seen. They're avoiding being controversial. They're avoiding actually sharing what they truly deeply believe and want to practice because Mm -hmm. of that fear and that pushback from people. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate that a lot of the time, the people who are the ones who are wanting to push back are the ones that are the loudest. Mm -hmm. And the people who are supporting you often are the ones that are just like, totally like quietly totally and i wish it was like flipped but i mean i guess it's just kind of a way to test you and see how strong you are in your practices your beliefs all those things but you are one of those people that Mm. you're just like take it yeah (laughs) bye whoops (laughs) yeah it's it's really interesting to hear that from the outside because even in this interview today there's that interesting like oh well like this is how i see you and how do you keep your voice strong and i was like girl i don't always want to keep my voice strong like that's actually my human experience behind it but even with that that post i'd love anyone that's listening is going to go try to find it now (laughs) which is I lost 100 followers and I was like, yay. Oh, really? But the thing is, you know, that's what you want because you want to call who's not right for you. You want to call who's the right fit for you. You want to call people that are not a fit for you, which then therefore creates more safety for those that do resonate with you and do resonate with it, right? And so if 100 people unfollow me, that's great. I'm glad that they quietly remove themselves from my space without needing to have a conversation. Okay, one person felt they needed to have a conversation. Okay, bye, right? But it's like, you know, that's part of consent. That's part of consent is like, let me be fully open to the edge of who I am so that you never feel tricked or deceived when you come deeper into whatever it is I'm offering. Like, let me make it very clear to you from the jump about what's going on here so you can decide in your consent if this is something that you want to connect with or something that you want to go your other way with, which Mm. I think is really beautiful and resonates more deeply than, you know, any kind of watering things down in order to manipulate something for a false sense of popularity, right? Totally. Mm. I'm as you're saying that, I'm literally feeling you pulling out the people pleaser in me. <laughs> so much of yes. me wants to be like, no, 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 no. But you want to keep everybody and me thinking like that's the same thing that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I'm doing the same thing where people are going to be really, really mm-hmm. unsure and not like the things that I'm doing with the podcast mm-hmm. and everything. And every part of me wants to be like, oh my gosh, that's so scary. Maybe I need to tone it back. Like you're literally pulling out that piece of yeah. me that's like terrified of losing the people yeah and again another great reminder for me of just like really staying convicted and like you had said like don't water it down yeah Mm -hmm. like that's not what you want to do and I that's so amazing and that's the crone that's the PMS energy that's the wild woman energy that we get to sit in every cycle in the days leading up to our bleed Mm. and that's the wisdom that actually comes through that breaks through and the fine when the cervix finally softens and opens and lets those drops of blood down that's what we have a chance to sit in is that crone energy of I am enough I've done enough I have nothing to prove I have nothing to prove. And really what we're talking about is that energy of, of how I felt, even as you asked me about my personal journey of becoming like a grown ass woman, of becoming a grown woman that is operating from this place of like, let I'm going to let you see me because I'm not afraid to be seen for who I am. 
because of that authentic love that we actually receive that is so much more nourishing than trying to maintain connections based on morphing ourselves and even manipulating our way our body into certain contortions to to try to pull someone in you know even that is um very much uh like a warped understanding of feminine energy and feminine power that we even see a lot in that manifestation world, right? Of like, use your sexual energy for this or, you know, all these games that we see in this like coaching, dating kind of industry and and how do you rope someone and how do you get a man and how do you do this or that? It's such a, um, you know, manipulative dark feminine energy. But the dark feminine energy is really the primordial mother, of like, mm. let me be ruthless and let me be direct and let me be honest and let me be the earthquake or let me be the erupting volcano, et cetera. Oh my gosh. I think that might actually be the perfect time okay. to be as much as I want to just keep diving. I just want to keep diving and diving and diving. Um, but yeah, I think that's a great time to leave it. And we will maybe just book another one again because holy moly there's so many golden nuggets in here we can talk about fertility awareness method in the next one because we didn't even get to what it means to chart your cycle (laughs) free mini course on the website folks yeah yes so we're gonna go into that this is emily um her instagram is muja moon so it's at M-O-U-J-A-M-O-O-N. And you can go visit her website too. It's www.mujamoon.com. Same way it's spelt. She has free mini courses on um, fertility awareness method and then also a free menstrual meditation. Mm -hmm. So holy moly. I'm going to re-listen to this I think 10 times because I love how you talk and you're just like, oh, mm-hmm. so many good things in that that I want to now reflect on because it's things I want to like continue to integrate into my own life. Yeah. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. So amazing. Such a pleasure. 